0: It's been a long time since the last time we recorded one of these. Pre-Christmas with Warren and the uh, and the rest. Uh, extravaganza was the last one we did.
1: Great, Scott, was it that long ago? Yeah,
0: we had some really nice feedback about that from from a bunch of people I, I spoke to. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, so I think it'd be a nice idea to maybe do a few more of those in-depth podcasts yeah. with, with somebody who knows what they're talking about now and again. That'd be good.
1: Okay, so if anyone's listening and you know what you're talking about, then get in touch and you can come on and uh, talk about what you know about.
0: So the last... Um, or to I think you've done a couple of talks notably one at the PHP UK conference
1: PHP UK yeah down, down in London how'd that go um it was interesting it's the first time i've ever talked on a big stage and as i said in my talk uh, a talk for me is normally whoever i can corner in the pub who's not fast enough to get away from me mm. um so this was uh, a room with uh, it was weird because it was two rooms next to each other i was i was speaking to the one room and the next room had a video feed of me speaking as well <laughs> so it was, it was quite a bizarre setup but it was all very well orchestrated and you know they did a good job of putting it together um but I got interesting feedback because I did um, git workflow right and the feedback was a mixture of that was really really helpful and a great way of, uh, of uh, explaining it because I did the whole um, how um, git workflow is a bit like the comic book industry and uh, explained it like a series of comics and talk about continuity and rebase and all this stuff right uh, and the other half of the room were like um, I already know all this <laughs> so uh, it was it was it was good to split the room I like to split the room. Um, but to be fair I, I maybe should have made it because I was aiming for two audiences one audience was people who really struggle with Git which I think is a, a much larger sector of the tech community than is will care to admit to it yeah. and the other is the smart people who are struggling to understand uh, to, to explain it to the colleagues who are less experienced uh, I don't mean to say smart I mean the, the more experienced it's not about an intelligence thing it's about uh, you know how well you can grasp this uh, slippery fish of a technology right so um, so, yeah, it was the longest talk I've done as well at 40 minutes. Um, but, yeah, I did enjoy doing it. And I've got another couple of talks coming up uh, in the in the summer, one at Swansea Con and one at Port 80 in Newport in uh, in South Wales. So, yeah, uh, th- they'll be on different topics. I'm speaking about build tools and immutable infrastructure at those. Um, but it, the, my approach to this, I approached it a little bit differently than I usually did. Um, usually with talks, I come up with bullet points and then wing it. Um with this talk i scripted the whole thing uh and then read it to my wife sort of thing uh, to to i uh, sort of run through it because she's got like an elementary uh, level git usage so she was an ideal test subject and then i went back to the drawing board and then went back to bullet points so i, I was sort of vacillating between am i just going to be reading this off cards because i wanted to get it right or am i going to be kind of um sort of semi-winging it because I try to put as much personality into my talks as I can and I'm a bit more spontaneous with like jokes and stuff and some of them land some of them don't you know I'm very hit and miss but uh, yeah so that was a bit interesting because um, you do talks as well uh, what approach do you take are you a scripter or are you a, a winger?
0: I'm really really a winger yeah
1: that surprises me because you're so meticulous about stuff
0: I, it isn't really I think the reason I do tend to wing it is because um, I procrastinate quite a lot when it comes to actually putting these things together. Um, And ultimately, when when, when I sit down to actually put a slide deck together, um, I I, I usually have like a week or so to go. I just don't have time to to sort of sit down and actually learn it. Um, I don't really have any problem in theory with learning something. I've done some hideous amateur dramatic stuff in my time. And yeah, <laughs> learning learning scripts and things like that has never been a problem for me. So in theory, yeah. th- there's nothing stopping me going and doing that. And I do believe I would get a better sort of talk for being well rehearsed. Um, yeah. There's a little part in which things, are you know, you you, you do get a little a tiny bit of um, you know the spontaneity does, does add something a bit more exciting to the talk. You know, if mm. if you learn something by rote, maybe the audience do get the feeling that it's sort of being a bit um, parroted to them, and you know, it doesn't really have that yeah. sort of like you know X factor, but by and large, um, I would imagine that most talks would be better off for being rehearsed and properly learned than done mm. off the cuff, just because um, there's there's less chance of things being forgotten or mm. things being muddled up and 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 um, the, the odd sort of um, phrase forgotten that you know, might really hit home. Um, mm. uh, I actually read an interesting article. Somebody did a TED talk, uh, discussed his sort of. Like, um, the, the actual ted talk is like kind of a meta ted talk where he talked about how he procrastinates writing talks and then the the talk oh, the, right. the talk was about um how he eventually put together his ted talk on um how he t- does talks um his name's Te- tim urban i'll put the link to the article in the show notes oh Urbo, yeah i know Urbo. yeah Erbo, Yeah, that's the guy um he really sort of goes really in depth on the, the difference between sort of winging it and talking it through a set structure um mm or following a, a, a really exact script and literally repeating something you've, you've memorized, mm-hmm. um, and the sort of benefits and, um, uh, and the pros and cons of, of, do, of each sort of type of, of, um, talk delivery. Um, I thought it was really, really interesting. And so he just, he kind of just sort of recommends, um, he, if you go into, if you're going to sort of follow a script, you really got to, um, you've either got to like, get it down absolutely spot on, and yeah. and deliver it the way you've rehearsed it like a, like a hundred times, or you've got to read it um, off a script and and not and there's no sort of middle ground. If you going to sort of memorize um, an exact delivery, uh-huh. you have either got to actually memor- memorize it properly. Or you've got to read it. You can't let yourself be lulled into this false insecurity of writing something exact, not quite remembering it, and then trying to follow it and trying to deliver it to a bunch of people when you haven't really quite got it down or you don't have it in front of you yeah. to fall back on and um, because what you end up doing then is just um you know you, you run you run the risk of getting lost and and being sort of that, that moment where you think you've got something on the tip of your tongue and you're trying to remember and you can't remember it and you're aware yes. then that everybody's waiting for you to say something and you just get that panic um and he goes he, he talks a lot about that and I thought that was quite interesting um he talks about the, you know wing and he, he says winging is absolutely fine if you're an absolute expert in what you're talking about. And this stuff yeah. is so second age to you, and you know so much about this stuff that you're quite confident that it doesn't matter what you're talking about. you've got enough stuff you can talk about, and you're confident enough about it that you can deliver a good talk on it mm-hmm. and I think obviously you have to it relies on you being a good speaker as well and being you know naturally engaging and you know you haven't got to build in jokes, you can sort of like fall back on your natural sort of personality yeah i I would probably come probably sort of like in the middle of it, like talking yeah. through a set structure um I think maybe, probably you would do as well apart from this last one you mentioned doing. Um, yeah, because when
1: I delivered it, I did end up winging a lot of it. But I was sort of hyper aware um, of the sort of all the code of conduct issue and stuff. And I was having to be very careful with my jokes. Not that I was particularly going out there to say anything, you know, anything incendiary or anything like that. But I was just I was a little bit paranoid about that, about accidentally making some reference and then getting pilloried for it. Yeah. Um, so that was another reason I wanted to sort of um, make sure that. If I was going to make jokes and stuff, they weren't sort of like the slightly off color jokes that I, I'll be honest, I do sometimes come out with. Um, so I had to be quite careful. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And that was another reason that I wanted to sort of script. Um, I listened to a lot of podcasts with comedians and, and this reminds me a lot of, of their approach. Like Joe Rogan talks about when you've got a bit And a bit is just sort of a series of gags or whatever. And they'll get up and they'll do their bit. And some nights it'll just be on fire and it'll be brilliant. Some nights it'll be terrible. And over time they get the timing and the patter of it down. Mm. And I think doing tech talks, it can be similar, although it's a much drier topic... And if you're looking to make your talk sort of lively and energetic, which is I really try to do because so many talks on the conference circuit, they're just so dry um, and put in a little bit of life and a little bit of spark into it, even if it's not your sense of humor or your sort of um, the way that y- you like learn information best. If someone's at least doing something a little bit more personality driven, it sort of breaks up the conference a little bit. And it's not all just, you know, people reading off slides and doing live coding and things like that um and the way the comedians do it is they 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 kind of drill it uh and but you've got to have the audience in front of you to do that if that's the kind of thing you're trying to do so thankfully I'd done this talk twice before already um but still a lot of the a lot of the gags didn't land not that I was getting out there to particularly do a comedy talk but some of the things that I thought people would laugh at they they didn't really but mm-hmm. I had people coming up to me afterwards and saying your talk was really really funny but I felt awkward to no one else was laughing <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so it's a strange room it's a very strange room at a tech conference to do things like that
0: yeah yeah i i guess your sense of humor is, is quite um uh it isn't the sort of run in the mill either is it you know you you, you tend it's to quite quite odd yeah but it, it is <laughs> isn't you're, you're a really funny person but i guess maybe um the sort of jokes aren't the obvious jokes that people feel immediately comfortable in laughing at and no. maybe you know internally find quite funny but it's not uh, something that they didn't, you'd imagine would hit home with a lot of people, I guess. So oh, yeah. I guess there is that. I'm niche. I'm very niche. And yeah, I guess that's some I'm trying to say. You're a very niche person, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but the talk actually worked quite well by the sounds of it, then, so that's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very,
1: very mixed feedback. <clears throat> uh, but I I like, I enjoy that. And I think there were some people that said, look, I've really struggled with this concept, and thank you for putting it in that way, and now I understand it. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully there are a few people who can go away, because I thought about... Um, uh, owen phelps he did a talk about git where he used post-it notes and floppy disks uh as a metaphor and the way that he did that and his post-it note was like his tag or his head pointer or things like that yeah and that was a really good metaphor and i was like okay that really helped me so this was my metaphor and this is like you know well here's another talk. because one thing i've learned about teaching is that one size definitely doesn't teach all. um i've been like teaching muay thai and boxing for the last six months um more like nine months now And, like, not everyone learns in the same way and not everyone benefits from the same style of teaching. Some people need to do a lot more repetition and drilling, uh, whereas some people, like, um, that won't work for them. They'll get bored and they need, like, lots of different things and, you know, one thing at a time. Um, So it's it's really the more metaphors that are out there to help people learn things, the better, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just... Just thinking about it, sort of talks that I've appreciated, I think probably the best talk that I've seen uh, in recent in recent times was at PHP Northwest a couple of years ago. Um, a guy called Ross Tuck did a talk on uh, models and service layers. Oh, um, Tucker? Ross Tuck. <laughs> um, Tucker, Tucker, safe. Tuck, yeah, Tucker. Um, and he, I, I believe he had sort of really sort of um, memorized his talk quite well. And he, he sort of reeled it off, barely taking mm. a breath. And it wasn't, I guess you might think that delivering a talk in that way might make it hard for the audience to sort of take in what you were what he was saying. Um but, but the intensity of it was I think quite attractive. Um yeah. people really hang off his hang off his every word, you know. Um, and that was really interesting. So if anybody's not seen that talk, um, it's on sort of a, sort of domain modelling and how to how to um you know, design your domain models and work with them in doctrine and PHP. But you know that's a that's a kind of a a side a side point really. The it, it, it applies to pretty much all sort of domain modeling um, tasks. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting talk I Recommend you watching that. Um, cool. And the article I mentioned earlier that, that uh, Tim Urban wrote, I thought for a second then, Tim Urban, isn't that like country West singer? The guy who played Judge Dredd? What was, what was his name? Carl Urban. Carl Urban, that's right. Yeah, I'm maybe getting confused with him. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, I think he's right in saying that, you know, ideally you should rehearse your talk really well, get yeah. it down, and then once you're comfortable with it, you can always... Feel free to throw things in if you want to. Mm. Um, you've got to be incredibly knowledgeable to to wing a talk. Um, yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's, it's very unlikely that most people are in that sort of boat. Um, and, and they're able to be you know, charming, engaging, and, and all the rest of it. There is
1: an element, though, of horses for courses. It's like um, macho man Randy Savage would would always plan his matches out to the tee. Um, whereas other wrestlers will, will sort of call it on the fly. Mm. They do what they call calling spots. It's like, okay, well, they'll sort of say to each other, oh, you, you get me for a headlock now, and then I'll flip over or whatever. And they, they've got sort of the spots worked out, but they haven't got the entire match scripted, yeah. whereas Macho Man would like to script his entire match. Um, doesn't mean to say he's necessarily a better performer than the others, um, but he would craft really quite meticulous matches, and some of them went down as all-time classics, yeah. like uh, the match against Steamboat quite famously. Um, so I think there's there's certainly a room for for both approaches, because some people are very sort of like improvisational in the way they think, and it's also it's like well, what stage are we on? If I if I were a wrestler performing at WrestleMania, I would probably want to make sure I nailed it for timing's sake and stuff like that yeah um whereas if i was competing in the local sort of ymca then uh, it might be a little bit more loose
0: yeah and also i guess if you are sort of um you know adapting your performance be it wrestling or tech tech talks um as, as you did <laughs> yeah Completely pretty much the same, same pretty much the same thing i'm quite confident i'll step in the ring tomorrow and, and deliver <laughs> a pretty good pretty good wrestling what would the the O'Reilly book to the head probably <laughs> um,
1: mine would be called the brown clown but I haven't decided what it is yet like that's just the name of it the brown towel just get a brown <laughs> the towel, brown towel. <laughs> yes. wrap
0: it over somebody's face yeah
1: yeah um, yeah
0: would yeah. be like Tajiri. I guess that helps you to sort of adapt your talk to how the audience is responding to it and there's a, there's a big benefit of that and I guess you could you know you could say the same for any sort of you know talk if you think that you're sort of leaving the audience behind and hmm. um, I, this this a lot of people um, I feel, ask the audience to feel free to ask questions as they deliver their talk and I guess that's one easy way you can tell whether your audience is getting you and whether you should yeah. maybe switch things up
1: I think that's very brave though because sometimes you get the one person in the audience who doesn't understand who asks dozens of questions Yeah. Um. so it is about reading the room and if you script a talk Fine, but you still need to be prepared to diverge if you can see a lot of glassy eyes, like more than ten percent glassy eyes. I expect ten percent glassy eyes at any
0: talk I do, you know. Not
1: everyone's <laughs> gonna get it, especially the speed I go at.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. But um, I think yeah, so ideally I think scripting something, if you really well if you know what if you know what goes over well, which by that point in his career I suppose Macho Man would have done, you know, if you know something's gonna go over well, you know what the audience respond to. Yeah. Um and like you said, timing's a big thing as well. You know, you, you look up and you see somebody waving at the back of the room, you've got five minutes left, and it's like, ah I know I've got fifteen minutes somewhere on my slides to go. Um <laughs> yeah. so you quickly like, drop in things and and they're like, just tapping through your slides quickly. Like that's the last thing you want. I you know you need to make yeah. sure that your pacing's good. So yeah. Um I think in future, um I would I would sort of tend towards the more sort of rehearsed route. Now mm-hmm. I've read that article and and a few things and it have sort of left out at me. Um, I would, yeah. But I know what I'm like I know that I just put off planning things and then ultimately I end up just the last minute just throwing some slides together and and talking. But that's one of the reasons why I only talk about things that I'm yeah. working on right right now because I, I need that I need that confidence in in feeling that I know what I'm talking about. I'm
1: pretty sure that I've seen you editing a slide just before your talk, like holding up a hand to say, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" Right now I'm ready.
0: <laughs> yeah, undoubtedly <laughs> that's happened. I, mean, I give one talk actually, um, I give a lightning talk at. Uh, Symphony live in Paris, oh yeah. and that was a strange thing where they asked for submissions for the lightning talk, sort of like an hour or two before the actual you know the slot, um, and they said they were going to pick a few from those that emailed in, and someone had to go and deliver them. I didn't really have anything prepared, so mm. I threw some slides together and got up and did it, and it didn't didn't go like amazingly well, but it, it was good enough to get me um, future speaking um, gigs off the back of it. Um, and and that was like horrendously unprepared prepared and winged but I'd give a talk on the project I was working on right then at that, at that moment in time mm-hmm. so yeah. I was incredibly confident that you know, even though if my sort of delivery wasn't really good which, which it really wasn't um, or if the, the, the subject topic maybe wasn't of interest to a lot of people at least I knew that I was confident that I could talk really authoritatively about it and um, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to get sort of like lost or stuck with things to say so Yeah, that's always helpful. I'm not sure I could go back and and redo a talk that I I gave, you know, a year or two ago because I probably would have forgotten virtually everything that Uh, I I did about it. Whereas if you rehearsed something, and I I, I still remember sort of gists of things that I rehearsed when I was, you know, doing stage productions and, Mm. you know, I'm not saying saying I could could repeat them now, but I'd have more chance of remembering what the essence of it was than I I would remembering a talk I gave. uh, Oh,
1: yeah, you get back into it
0: yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, so I think that's quite interesting and... uh, I might have to pop along just once you can and see you, see you speak. Uh, it sounds quite good. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be huge. I'm going to be a little like, oh yeah! <laughs> Maybe not then. Maybe I'll give that one a miss. <laughs> um, so I saw something this week, and mm-hmm. you weren't the first person I thought of, but I, I would have guessed almost certainly you would have been affected by it. This NPM thing where um, some some guy yanked his uh, four-line library to do um string padding yeah uh, left string padding from npm and tucked down a bunch of projects i think react js was among them maybe yeah um, and uh, i think
1: one of one of the tools we use it might have been babble or um, Babel pulls in about forty thousand files so it's almost certainly pulls that in yeah. um which allows us to run es6 um basically and Blimey Charlie. <laughs> it, it knocked me sideways because I was in the middle of trying to learn Docker uh, for a project that does an NPM install and it was broke, and I'd had no end like my experience with Docker was basically like walking into a dark shed full of rakes and every single one hit me in the face for three days until I finally got it up and running like say Joe Barb in
0: that Simpsons episode it's exactly what it was
1: like and I was just going uh, bang (laughs) uh, and that's exactly how it rolled but um, so I was completely misled because I was thinking oh it's something I'm doing with Docker it's caching something it's not caching something Uh, and then I found out that there's all this going on and I was just like rage quit um yeah so it's pretty irritating but uh, it, it begs the question like okay we like having some level of dependencies in our projects in terms of we don't want to have to implement everything ourselves because great scott we haven't got time for that but where do you draw the line uh, yeah that's a good question
0: where do you draw your line do you have my line um yeah well roughly speaking anyway um it's a line in the sand so you know it's hard to be washed away by the tide and then and redrawn um experience but yeah Um yeah. I think ultimately I tend to only obviously you know only take on board dependencies that you absolutely need for a start um, yeah I think that's my that's probably the sort of fundamental number one issue for me is that I can't imagine for a second that a lot of people who were bring in this left left string pad dependency, weren't capable of writing a left string pad function themselves. Yeah, um, and I've seen some arguments online about how you know, okay, this 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 four line function would have been tested a hell and back by thousands of people, and it was optimized really well, so it was going really quick and all, and all sorts. But ultimately, you know, there's there's not there's not much danger in writing a string pad uh, function, you know. Even if you you do write yourself and you put and there's bugs in it, or you don't test. What it very happened
1: well. to Bob? Oh, the string pad function in his pacemaker
0: failed. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not a, a, a mission critical sort of algorithm, is it? Ultimately, you can't imagine that being a big problem in any sort of. I don't. Maybe 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 I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it depends on what your software is. But yeah. I, I guess a lot of things that npm and Node is being used to, to write right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's unlikely to be a big thing. So people could write themselves. Um, and I, I, I would I would really shy away from. Ever including a library that I know I could write myself in a feasible amount of time anywhere yeah. up to like a couple of days probably if I can if I know I could do it myself in a couple of days I will always make an effort to direct write it myself um, so that naturally sort of sets the bar that I only tend to pull in dependencies that are either significantly out of my skill set so a big thing for this would be any sort of like really complicated UI stuff like with um I, I, as an example there's um there's a, there's a component in our iOS app at the moment which is one of those buttons that you tap on to start a download and then as it downloads it um sort of draws a circle and the circle completes as the download progresses um and you can uh-huh. tap tap it again to to pause it and then tap it again to restart it so it's not a significantly complex sort of design but I know absolutely nothing like literally nothing about um uh drawing using iOS's Um, uh, Cocoa frameworks so for me to write that even though it's in theory quite straightforward I would literally have to start at the bottom, ground zero, with a book, and you know, learn how to do all this stuff. And I make mistakes along the way, and it probably would take a lot of time, you know, a, a good couple of days for me to get it absolutely right. And even then, it might not be good. It might take a few iterations before I actually get the way I'm, I want to look. So, yeah, this, if there's a component out there that tells what not want to do it and it works perfectly, and it's and it's not a significantly big dependency, as in there's not a lot of code involved with it. Mm-hmm. So, if I if I absolutely had to, I could get in there and understand it myself, and and, and make tweaks so it worked properly the way I wanted it to. Yeah, I could fork it and contribute if I wanted to. Then that that for me is like an obvious sort of candidate for something I can bring on board, and which I have done. Mm. And the second one, FF circular progress view, which I end up using, which is great. So that, that's the the obvious example. And then also, that you've got past that, you've got sort of like more, you know, heavy duty dependencies, stuff that you could never write on your own if you wanted to. You know, this this taken you know man months, if not man years, of effort, um, and. You know, is necessarily part of the 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 core framework that you're working on, but you know, for all intents and purposes, easily could be you know something that that the majority of people in your field use, um, sort of a de facto you know standard library. You know, um, so examples of this in PHP, you could say something like Doctrine, um, yep. in, in iOS as a network and called AF Networking, uh, in Swift, um, you know, these things are libraries that pretty much you know, I, I do know, maybe 10, 20, if not more percent of people use on all of their projects. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's always risk involved in using dependency, but when when they approach that level of ubiquity, then there's an argument that, you know, um, that you're shooting yourself in the foot if you aren't using them because you're at a competitive disadvantage. Um, so if, if anything falls into those two camps, then I, do, I consider it ripe for, for inclusion in a project. But beyond that, if it's something I can do myself, or something I feel is a risk because it's not maintained properly, or it's not tested properly, um, or you know I, I don't think I can I understand it I understand it enough to, to take it on board in case something goes wrong and I can't fix it myself, um, then I'll, I'll discount it and just try and wing it and you know um, just just try and do it myself even if it's ultimately something I don't really understand properly. At least the 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 um, the act of trying to develop it means I'll learn something and at least you know understand my project and increase my skill set slightly
1: so you can do a couple of other things as well like you can use someone's small dependency as a stopgap to test and get something working um I'm, i'm probably a little bit more lenient than you with what i would take on if something was going to take me a couple of days versus grab something off the shelf i'd probably grab it off the shelf um sometimes i'll actually fork it um and maintain it ourselves um I mean, the case of, of this particular, it, it's such um, it's such a microcosm of the more wider issue that everyone draws the line somewhere. And um, I think the way that we operate uh, is that we do use a fair number of dependencies, but we also produce a lot of dependencies and we we open source a lot of little tools and things like that. And I can see the case that. Um, when you go like in software engineering, you've got someone who sits around like Knuth all day and he's writing his algorithms and stuff. And it's like those things only ever need to be implemented once per language, pretty much.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so if it's an algorithmic thing, it doesn't make much sense to, to re implement it. But that belongs more in like a standard library. You get yeah. me? It, it, it's, um, so something like a string pad, that's something that's missing from JavaScript. It, yeah. uh really and, um, but because JavaScript has such a culture of okay well we'll just pull in a dependency, pull in a dependency it is JavaScript that seems to suffer from this more than other languages because of the nature of the ecosystem mm. um, Is that because think, of the browsers or because of the actual people guarding ECMAScript itself? Oh who knows because be, uh, it's such a consortium driven thing it's like if you look at C Sharp or something like that there's a very clearly defined team of who's responsible for it whereas ECMA is like a consortium and all that kind of stuff. And mm. I think it's, they probably have to move a little bit more slowly in some, in some ways. C-sharp can just go out version 7, we're having this.
0: Yeah, I got, uh, the Douglas Screenshubes actually tweeted something like they were, they were all laughing when PHP had 4,000 string, string functions, but it was laughing now, you know. Like- <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> if only they were named consistently. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: But the, there, is, there is that. So you can make a case for it, Um, I'm not completely opposed to it. What I think the smart thing to do is to insulate yourself from your dependencies. Um, So that's one of the reasons that we do actually build... um uh, docker containers or we, we're starting to do that is that we actually npm install everything on there and, and, and if we have to we've got like we can put yesterday's dependencies into production you know mm. what i mean we're not we're not super out of date whilst we're all scrabbling to go oh this thing's gone away but it affected us it was it was deep in our dependency stack i think it was somewhere under Babel. i haven't actually um dug in because we had about six or seven dependencies in this project and it's nothing that's running in the wild this is just stuff we were experimenting with um so that was that was quite a quite a quite a sucky day for me. Um because it took me a while to work out and then I read Hacker News and I was like, Oh damn, here we go. Because uh, yeah. I was convinced it was something I was doing just because uh I'd had such a day of rake face that I was probably
0: slightly concussed. Well that's the worst thing about it, isn't it? Is it's bad enough if it happens and it is a common sort of problem these days of people um having relying on a lot of dependencies is yeah. um that Something's unavailable and they can't deploy their project or something because you know GitHub's down or, yeah. the, in this case, the, the, the actual library itself isn't available.
1: Um, yeah. That's why we pre-bake our base images and our VMs. So every night we have a nightly build and all we have to do is a code drop. So yeah. we're, that's part of what I talk about when I talk about immutable infrastructure is just having to do a code drop, like clone this thing, code drop. And as we move towards Docker, um, it's just, okay, well, we're going to put these containers in. Uh, Mm. here's your environment variables off you go you've got everything you need Um, so worst case scenario we're dealing with code that's 24 hours old um, because the thing is we're all using dependencies there's no getting away from it uh, at some level and I know it's a very obvious point but I think it's worth stating it's like app get install whatever um, yum install uh, your server level and then you've Mm. got you know your PHP level your Ruby level whatever you're using to you you are pulling in something even if it's just the standard library Uh, and it's just filtering out the ones that are clearly written by some person in their bedroom you know <laughs> yeah. if there's some community if there's like a dozen or so forks of this thing then fine um because you can start using one of those in a pinch hmm. uh, but you need to vet this stuff and I, I totally take your point that you can't just blindly start adopting something something like doctrine something like i i, I don't know whatever equivalent spring in java something like that that's heavily used fine grab that Um, but if you're using something that's a bit goofy and it's a bit out there then you need to make sure that it's not going to go away and if you think it's going to go away then you mirror it Um, yeah but but when we're under pressure and we're under the gun and we want our code
0: yesterday it's like oh quick grab this this does more or less what i need and off we go yeah obviously there's you know it depends on the, the situation if you're just putting it to proof of concept of something or you absolutely have to fix something and you haven't got time to write something yourself and and it's something that does the job, then there's no reason you shouldn't integrate it. But then there's obviously maybe the need to have the awareness that potentially you could back this thing out if in the next week or two, once things have calmed down and things are a bit more settled. Um, And and often things just get left and they they get left to rot. And um, I actually check in all my dependencies now into source control. um, Oh really? Yeah. Assuming the license doesn't prohibit it, but seeing yeah. as pretty much everything I use is MIT, then that's not an issue. Um, yeah, just check everything in, and okay, you know, the is slightly bigger, and it takes slightly longer to check things out. Um, and you know, when you when you when you, uh, when you modify the versions you're running at or whatever, you know, you have to check in a bunch of code. But, yeah. f- but those are the only cons. Really, the benefits are that you've you've always got your dependencies right there when you make it a deployment it's all coming out of your source control and you're not relying on putting in from other sources yeah github's down that's not an issue um and I, i've i've really sort of benefited from that i really snapped about two or three years ago when github wasn't available and i couldn't get some dependencies I was like well, that's it that's never happened to me again <laughs> it's just all going into my source control yeah um whole and set absolute, of problems has gone away
1: yeah, well, what absolute I would say is cases, to make so. sure that uh, that commit is one commit on its own because otherwise oh, yeah. if
0: you're trying to find something in yeah. your history you're going to be like
1: oh this commit's like five be- megabytes you know, say,
0: say you upgrade from version one to version two of a library and you obviously you check in the new code that comes as part of that you've then got the ability to diff that in your own you know in your own local you know diff you are not working yeah. on GitHub trying to like you know pull down or use their, use their online differ or bring down libraries to check what's changed between versions. a so It's good just point. it's just right there in, in your project. You know, it's part it's, it's ultimately this code, even though it's written by somebody else, ends up being your project. It ends up being your binary. It ends up, you know yeah. you, you can't get the ownership ultimately becomes becomes you once you pull this in this thing in. So even though that maybe they maybe they exist in a different folder to your code and they're nice and separate in the in the in the in the in the tree structure that's your project. You, you need to consider these things to be your code, and there's no point in sort of burying your head in the sand and, and you know, only taking notice of these things when APIs change and, and stuff breaks. You need to really yeah. own it and, and understand it and be aware of what it entails. Um, and I think having that code check, you know, checked in and part of your default, um, you know, checkout is, is a big part of that for me anyway.
1: I would totally agree, because I've bumped up against that with operating systems level stuff, uh, and that is why we started pre-baking our base boxes, and that, like, I love this phrase at the moment, a whole set of, a whole class of problems went away, Um, Mm. and it's just like, the worst that can possibly happen is the overnight base box build fails, and then we use yesterday's, so it really does help and it insulates us a lot and i'm into this insulation because people talk about well you could write a little abstraction um and then you only talk to this tool that you want to use through your abstraction and i'm like ain't nobody got time for that yeah. <laughs> you know yeah be,
0: let's be realistic it's now. A nice be yeah <laughs> i
1: actually went i get it
0: i get it but i'm not doing that <laughs> no i actually went through a few things recently and where i'd written a little um little adapters for for libraries and I was like yeah I've been using this thing for two years now it probably is never going to not not be used unless something something drastically changes there's no point me having all these little little things in the way um you know more code for me to test I'm I'm using this thing I've got to just accept the fact that I'm using it take ownership of it and and just you know and and work to it and if it changes I'll, I'll, I'll I'll just change my code to adapt to its new APIs um I'm sure there's, you know, there are places in the world for adapter patterns and you know maybe where you can't you don't own the dependency you're working towards. But I think if you've accepted something like that and you brought it into your code base, I don't know. It's just like using any other API that you own. Um, I don't really see the benefit of of, um, mm. of making it more difficult to access. But yeah, that's that's a sort of a, you know that's a separate point altogether. Um, the npm thing ultimately is for me. JavaScript has gone down a, a route where the they decided sort of. You know, take the microservice approach to, to to depend to dependencies and libraries to the extreme, and <laughs> yeah. you know, there's there's no there ain't, there ain't no there ain't no code snippet small enough that you could potentially you know make a library out of it. Um, and that's not something I think that I, I would see any benefit of in in code that I was uh, writing like yourself. I'd feel like things need to be grouped in a standard library and mm. sort of organized with some sort of consistency. Um, you know, some some higher level ownership and you know what you're getting then. Um, you're not pulling in things from loads of disparate sources, and it only takes one millennial in this bedroom to throw a hissy fit, and it all falls apart, so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, well, so, I mean, this, this leads me on moderately neatly uh, into my experiences with Docker this week, um, which has been, it, this is sort of a project that somebody else has done in the organization, and, and then I've had to get involved with, not, you know, it's not a bad thing to get involved obviously um but i had three days trying to get the thing to run or just to and what i realized eventually is that uh because with docker it's got to run on something it's not right. just magic so there's no vm uh, as such but then on osx there has to be a vm because it needs a linux kernel to talk to at the moment this is shortly to change um so you have to run this Docker machine and Docker machine talks to VirtualBox and it runs like a, a little Linux that runs the actual docker so you you, you're back to kind of virtualization really uh but you've got containers running in this in this virtual thing that was the first thing i didn't realize and the second thing i didn't realize is that what was mounted on that was only my user directory so the fact that i was in opt ratify and it couldn't see any of my codes and i was running and running and running these these um (laughs) docker files with docker compose and various things were happening and i was going down blind alley after blind alley and i couldn't you know when you can't even formulate what the problem is because yeah. everyone else is like oh it's working for me and I'm like, what so eventually i moved it into the directory and all of a sudden it works and i was just like hold the phone just commit whatever i've got to a random branch <laughs> i am not touching this uh, and then i then i moved it back and it stopped working i was like ah because i've been through some threads and they talked about that and then i sort of thought i'd mounted my code i hadn't um so then okay that's working but then i'm trying to um see what's getting mounted and exactly where because me being me once something's gone wrong and when i fix it i want to understand why i fixed it and why it's now working um so i got really like uh, pit bull about this and i'm like i'm going to figure this out so i, I started uh, editing the docker files so that when it uh, because i was using docker compose to mount and docker compose is basically saying okay you've got these um these containers and they're going to run together and this can talk to that it's basically describing a simple infrastructure so ran that and then halfway through, I'm sort of like attaching uh, a bash terminal to my, my, my Docker container. So I'm doing a, an LS and I can't see any of my files during the build phase. I'm like what well, I've mounted these I've mounted these where are they so that was the third day was me sort of for four and a half hours trying to figure out why I couldn't see these files and I was like they were there yesterday they were there yesterday it was all working what I realized eventually uh, after submitting an issue to Docker Compose and having a very polite and very patient response <laughs> from someone who's clearly heard this question 50 times uh, was that could you volume- search our issues <laughs> yeah you can, you can I think but uh, <laughs> well I did but the thing is when you don't know what the question is, that's the problem i was like where the hell am i couldn't couldn't quite phrase him um but yeah eventually found out that it mounts the volumes at runtime which makes complete sense because if you're making a container why would you bake in a volume mount that might not be present on a different machine right so it's like when when it starts up then it attaches the volumes then it's like okay here we go um so it made perfect sense to me in the end but The problem was I went down so many blind alleys because it was such a new tool for me. I'd read a book on it about six months earlier, but not really used it. And I'd made that mistake of just sort of skimming this book on it and going, yeah, I'll remember this if it ever comes up. No, because I did it sort of the wrong way around. But now I've gone back and read the book. It all makes sense to me. And I'm flying now. Now I'm like, okay, I can see how we can do this. I've written up a doc of what our strategy for adopting Docker would be, what the pros are, what the cons are. And I sort of, I get it. Mm. Um, but it was just because you've got the conceptual hurdle to get over it. It's not a VM. And then you've got, right, it needs a kernel. Where's this kernel coming from? And then you've got, right, it, because it's running on a Mac, it's got these this extra set of problems. But what Docker are doing is they're doing a proper um, OSX and Windows versions, uh, which there is like an alpha trial out there now. You've got to sort of sign up and tell them you're interested, which I've done, but they haven't given me the keys to the kingdom yet. Um, But that's going to be great because those problems that I've encountered are going to just go away, I think, hopefully.
0: I think that's pretty massive. Certainly, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. For, um, I'm How a, I'm many
1: devs that we know that use anything other than OSX? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, well, totally. But beyond that, to be honest with you, every time I've seen anybody demo Docker and explain, like I've seen people, you know, demo Docker containers and attaching things and using Docker Compose to sort of bring these containers together and mm. set up a set, what, in essence, I would use now as a VM. Yeah. Um, I just thought that is so much more work and that it's so much more complicated than what I'm doing right now. Why on earth would I want to do something like that? I mean, I get the, obviously, pros and cons to everything, the benefits, but ultimately, the, the benefits can't be, can't outweigh how much more pain I'd have to go through and how much more effort it would take to get to that <laughs> point.
1: Um, well, I, you're talking to the right guy, because I was a complete cynic about it, and I still, to an extent, am making the same arguments. I'm like, guys, look what we've got. Like, look, what our immutable infrastructure does, our automated testing, we have all these benefits. And I'm not saying we'll throw those away for Docker, but some of it we have to kind of redo. However, there are some very clear advantages, um, one of which I could kind of do with a VM, which I kind of do with the baking a base image, is, is passing the container around rather than rebuilding for different environments and injecting the environment variables um, but I could do that with a VM with like a Redis um, uh, sort of registry where it. it just goes oh can I have my environment variables p- please at startup time from the local Redis inside its its VPC in AWS yeah. so there are ways of getting all these benefits um, the main thing with Docker is it's very fast to start up for local development this is Nate's big bugbear with 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 like vi- uh, VirtualBox and stuff like that it's how long it takes to start and provision the darn thing right. uh, and how problematic it's been like whenever we've taken on a new dev it's been like a day or two to get them up and running in some cases whereas Mm. the idea is it should just be vagrant up and and then you get like oh it works for me and it's like you're kind of back to the not square one because at least you're all running on a consistent vm um and but then you've got this thing where the container wherever it runs is theoretically the same now i i think there's the java fallacy here because you have a different kernel and you have a different network so i'm not saying don't use docker for those, those reasons but just be aware that the kernel's different and that is going to affect 0.001 of people but yeah it'll affect someone yeah um So there are things like that. But uh, if you have very high requirements for uh, um, microservices, it's perfect because you can stick a bunch of them on the same box. But my big issue with Docker is that it's got to run on something. Um, so it's if it's going to be a VM in AWS, their sort of ECS service is what I'm looking at at the moment. And people listening will be screaming and biting their hands, going, why aren't you just using it? The- I'm not using it because I don't know about it. I've only been using it a week. Um, but I, what I'm crying out for is something that goes... The thing is, at the moment with my VMs, I can scale infinitely in an elastic scaling group. Like you know, I can set parameters and no problem. Whereas with Docker, if I if I'm using Docker in the same way as I use VMs, then I think I'm missing a trick because it's like I can only load so many shipping containers on the ship. The ship being the VM that I'm hosting them on. Hmm. Um, so it, f- it feels to me like an excellent fit for getting the best out of metal. Uh, because if you think how many servers have low resource utilization yeah um and it's great for microservices because you're making explicit sort of uh, interfaces yes we we can have the argument that you should do that in your code anyway but um if you're doing a microservice architecture you've got queues you've got something like that docker is very very good uh, for that if you've got anything that's taking tax off queues and you're just starting and stopping uh, docker containers they're very very fast to start up they're they're almost like operating system thread level quick um, and that is the big thing like going docker run and it just running um that's quite impressive when you've got a sophisticated thing that with um vmware a virtual box would take me quite a lot of configuration if i've got like six or seven microservices all talking to each other if each one of those had to have a vm or i've got a provision one vagrant virtual machine which is got all these services on and then that's not like production so this is the killer app the fact that it's much more like production because it's it's separate Containers talking to each other separately, which is how it behaves in the wild. Not one vagrant box talking to itself over ports.
0: Yeah, that's what we do. Is we have for local development, we have one box which has all everything installed. Yeah, and and you're talking yeah at least well, at least three or four. I guess you call them microservices. Yeah, but we don't really think of them as that. We think of them as apps. But yeah, in essence, they're microservices. And yeah, we just install everything. We use and um, we use parallels. Um, yeah, you said earlier that it's you have been quite slow to start up and stuff. But in my experience, it's not. It's quite quick. Um, mm. but, but I guess our stuff might be, you know. Oh, it all depends. Deals, it? Yeah. it depends
1: whether you're bringing down a tiny little core OS build, or if you're bringing down Ubuntu and if you're on crappy Wi-Fi, and yeah, that's true. Various yeah. things. So we've got we've got two Ansible playbooks that provision sort of our busiest client, um, and that takes about 15 minutes to provision. But you know, Vagrant up takes what 20 seconds once yeah. you go in. It's it's the first use, uh, and right, it's because okay. we flip between projects quite a lot sometimes mm. um, because that's we do a lot actually, of like, like OS stuff.
0: Yeah, if you have, I I have at least I, I when I started out using vagrant, I ended up having like four or five different machines. I'd say five actually, yeah, five different yeah. machines. Um, you know, I had like one for my one that had my website running on it for you know doing blog posts, and I had one for one for work, most of our stuff on on one machine. Um, I had, you know, some old sort of um, freelance projects on some other VMs, and it was taking something like you know thirty gig of my hard drive up. Um. Which is a significant chunk, you know. I think about two hundred and fifty gig on my on my, my laptop. Yeah, that's a really big chunk just to dedicate to to VMs. And, and like, and obviously the big thing with Docker is that you know you don't have all this stuff. All this stuff you don't need. You it 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 boils it down to the essence of of each each container contains just what you need to you know, to achieve that task. Um, so I could completely see why that was useful because I what I ended up doing in the end was just binning all all but two of the VMs. I've got a work VM and I've got a personal VM. And the person VM has got like everything on it. It's got like Ruby, PHP, you know, Node, anything conceivably that I, I need to use to work on you know, private stuff. Then I, I run it on there, mm. um, and that's crazy. You know, utterly crazy. I I could easily have some, you know, nasty um, problems with some you know, one dependency. You know, messing messing with them. If I want if I want to work on Ruby, I got stuff on one running on one port. Mm. PHP's are another port. It's, it's it's a mess it's an absolute mess. Yeah. And um, it'd do be that. nice just to you know just to have you know the ability just to just to bring in small discrete things uh, uh, as i needed them. So i can see the benefits of Docker totally there. Yeah. Um but then you're swapping the ability to just do one command and then boom there's your machine with as far as i was concerned a lot of confusing commands. Um, well it's it's just to,
1: different because it's like we use Vagrant plus Ansible. And it's always Vagrant plus something, or VirtualBox yeah. plus something, unless you're just going on and you're just app getting installing everything, yeah. in which case, um, oh dear. Because, um, yeah, nice you know, that's though. not repeatable. Um, yeah. But, yeah, if you, Ansible is lovely. I love Ansible. You can use Ansible with Docker, actually. But uh, the, the Docker file itself tends to be a short set of commands, and it's just learning another dialect. Mm. Um, and it's like learning Ansible if you know uh, Python, um, or sorry, if you know puppet or or whatever it's it's just another thing to learn which is it's i'm getting to the stage where that feels a little off-putting to me sometimes because you i have to learn so many things all the time and i get a little bit of learning fatigue which is the opposite problem to what i used to have i was like i'm doing the same thing all the time and i'm like i just want to do what i do and do it well yeah is that just a stage of life thing or am i just getting more sensible
0: (laughs) I was actually pondering this uh, earlier on today because it's it's quite a strange. Uh, we guess we this could become this this whole thing now, um, but I think it, it. Well, where do I start? The my 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 happiness in my day job is directly sort of as most people's. I, I guess especially in our sort of industry, is directly sort of related to how much I'm learning, how much I feel like you know I'm 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 sort of. Um, you know stuck doing the same thing day after day hmm. um i I generally need to feel like say in a five day in a, in a five day week working week, I need to feel like maybe three or four of those days I've just been working you know to maximum efficiency um haven't had any problems just cranking stuff out, getting stuff working i mean one of those days I need to feel like I learned something or I was challenged and I got over it and yeah. as those as as that as that sort of um, ratio changes. Generally, about no, know, either 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 I'm not cranking out code as much, or I'm learning um a lot more. I generally get unhappy. either I'm learning too much and I feel like I'm not really getting anywhere, or I'm 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 you know I'm 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 sort of um I have a lack of confidence that um I'm not making any progress, or I'm learning the wrong thing, or I don't understand what I'm learning, or I'm just working the same things over and over again, and I just feel bored and I feel like you know I'm just sort of like sort of painting myself into a corner, um and when you also sort of factor in where you're actually working i think is, that's really important so typically um, in our industry you're either working in a, a sort of um uh, you know a, a software house where you're like an agency sort of model where you know you are working on code for other people uh, for clients uh, or as you and i've done a lot in the past or you're working on a you're working on a more sort of um uh, a company where you're developing a product or something for something for in house which is only be used by you know, by your company um and how much you're learning and how much you get into to put what you're learning into what you're doing day to day will um will ultimately have a massive impact on the nature of your company. So if you're working for an agency, say for example, and you feel like you aren't learning enough, I think there's danger where you might push to take on new technologies that maybe aren't aren't, aren't ready. You may adapt your coding style, just to bring some, you know, some um, or your approaches using different patterns or whatever, just to feel like you're doing something different, which is not, which is definitely not what your client is paying you to do. That your client, yeah, that's
1: true for the large case. I think Radify is a little different because. Um, the way we position ourselves as our clients are paying us to be experts. Um, so I think we put probably more pressure on ourselves to pick up new things than most organizations. Um, but I'm quite similar to you. I, th- I like the way you've explained that, that in a five-day week, you need like one learning day, three productive days, and then one day can be a disaster, and that's okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, whereas last week i had a ratio of three really tough days uh and then two really productive days and it's like i was up and down like a yo-yo my mood was because it's very tied into how productive i feel yeah Um, but productivity has become more important to me and learning has kind of remained important but it hasn't you know I, i don't obsess about oh i've got to get the newest and greatest because i think i've been the guy in the past saying oh we've got to use this because it's new um, but whereas now I'm, I'm sort of going, right, is there a good news case for this? Uh, ES6 is a good one because then you have to add Babel. Um, mm. but you can express things much more tersely or you can be more expressive with your coding in ES6 it introduces a lot of very powerful language features and some of the parallelism stuff, uh, some of the, the like promises, uh, and intergenerators now, um, very, very, uh, cool stuff so but i don't like to take on more than one thing at a time because then i really feel overwhelmed and i just feel like oh can i still cut it in this industry i just feel like ah you know that that's what i get to if i have to take on too much stuff which is kind of what i mean you, you were saying like if you feel like you're learning too much and is it for me it's more an overwhelmed thing than an unproductive thing
0: hmm. i just i just i as i as i'm getting to so older and you know, seeing the same sorts of problems crop up and starting to realize that I can solve them in the, pretty much the same way I've always solved them, and it's not a bad thing. You know, I don't need to feel like I've had to, you know, tweak it slightly just to feel like just to feel, um, you know, satisfied with the outcome. Mm. Um, oh, that's I guess, true. Um, yeah. You know, like I think if you're surrounded by people who would, if you, I guess everything's competitive ultimately. You know, you you create competitive because you know you want to earn as much money as you can you want to be successful as you can be if people around you are doing things that look cool you want to try to match that you know
1: yeah um, there is that
0: if, if you're given a sort of task to do and you think well i could do it the way i usually do it or i could do something slightly different here and do a blog post about it or do a tech talking work about it and people will be like oh you know so and so is doing something really cool mm. um that'll advance me you know in the company um there's a danger that you're putting your project at risk and your client's money at risk by you know furthering your own you know your, your own skill set um when for uh, for a completely unnecessary reason that's um, very true i think that's a
1: big part of professionalism is is knowing when to push the envelope and yeah. when to go for tried and tested it's actually not too far removed from what we were discussing about dependencies earlier really
0: yeah exactly yeah and you know you you're not just putting your your your, your company or your potentially your your client at risk but your, your your coworkers at risk because they have to also know this stuff then. you you you're essentially forcing them to have to learn something um you force them to have to pick up something uh, from you when you inevitably leave um <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah there's there's a lot of um considerations that need to be taken into account whenever it comes to sort of you know what what may what may to you be um uh be a, a small insignificant Decision in your in your in your day. Oh, I'm not going to do it this way today. I'm going to do it. I'm going to you know, use this new technique I read about online last night. Yeah. Every time you de- every time you deviate from the the easy route, you are ultimately potentially introducing risk and and head yeah. and head and the headaches for someone elsewhere involved in the chain. I totally, I really like what you said there because I've started
1: using the phrase "hospital pass" um, yeah, for that, exactly, yeah. which is when <laughs> someone hands me a project and they've used more than one new thing. And uh, like, I'm not wanting to, I don't, not criticizing my colleagues here, but they're a lot smarter than me, and they can learn things a lot faster than I can. So, um, some one of my colleagues can go and they can, you know, pick it, pick these things up very, very quickly. Whereas me, I have to be a lot more meticulous um and i can pick up one thing and i'm quite happy to pick up one new thing per project but if you're asking me to pick up two or three that's a hospital pass and that's going to knock me on my back um and you know i I, th- I think what what you're saying there is like um, you can actually feel quite hard done by when someone does that to you because if they've done it just to try a thing where there's no business case, which thankfully my, my colleagues don't really seem to do, there's usually a very strong business case for picking up a new tech yeah. Um, but yeah that that I, I hope that that catches on in the industry of hospital passes. I think is exactly what it is
0: yeah like if it, if there's a business case for it, then there's absolutely you know things may pan out for good or worse. Oh, for sure. Uh, but but there, there must at least be a business case for it. Is what it comes down to. You know, you have to be able mm. to argue this in court. You know, you have to be able to get into a, you know, get into a witness box and be like, you know, truthfully, I did mm. this for these reasons, and as far as I was concerned, they were the right reasons. So if you get in the box yeah. and you say, well, to be honest with you, <clears throat> I thought it looked cool on the internet, and I thought if I learned it, people would think I was a really, you know thought you were awesome, code that, yeah exactly and that's not that's not an adequate reason to, to do something and well, i this, think it does, i think it does happen you know i've seen it happen oh, for and, sure
1: i've been guilty yeah. of it from both ends really but yeah, l- listening to you talk about that it really encourages me actually because i was talking to dale reese dalo uh, on twitter <laughs> That that's my new thing, by the way. Just say someone's name, then I'll just give them a daft footballer style <laughs> nickname. I am going to see if it catches on. But yeah, I was talking to on the on the Twitters um, because he said, if you were are a dev and were are considering giving up development as a career, what would be suitable to trade for next dev? And I was saying, well, you know, there's not that many Bob Martin types who do it into their 60s. No. Um, and I feel like, you know, it gets harder as my contemporaries, they seem to remain as bright 20-somethings. You know, the, the industry is dominated by those. Um, but this, this fellow, um, uh, Tom O'Ram, o- o- Tomo, um, he was put in a... I see, I'm consistent. No, Ramo. A Ramo. Oh, oh Ramo. He's, Ramo's safe. Um, he put up this article, which is like, it's almost like a population thing. It's not so much that the older guys are dying off. It's just that there's such an influx of young guys. I say, guys, just own people, you know. Um, But yeah, there's so many young people coming because the industry has grown more than other industries. Like, obviously, a lot of industries have shrunk with automation, mechanization, um can't fight city hall that's how it goes um that's not an appropriate thing to say is it but never mind but yeah it, so he, what he was basically saying um was that he he doesn't feel that pressure whereas you know i feel a lack of energy i haven't got the energy i did at 25 but like listening to you talk then you've got such a better head on you than any of us had in our 20s you know, in terms of making sort of informed decisions about what libraries we're going to use, what approaches we're going to use, when we're going to try and test it, and when we're going to bring in this tool that looks like it will solve our problem in an elegant way, but we don't know anything about it. Mm. So I think that that's, that's a large part of the strength that the senior guys bring. Um, and hopefully I can do that, because I, I was thinking about other careers, and quite frankly, I can't really think of much that I'd like to do that's realistic.
0: No, I, I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 no, I agree with you. It's really hard. So I can't be Batman. I read... Well, there's only one bad. Ben, I mean. ben
1: Affleck. He's did a great job. <laughs> like, I saw that film. I thought it was fantastic. Everyone was panning. Is it? it? I
0: heard it was really bad.
1: I loved it. I thought it was okay. great. But then I'm a big DC fan and I think if you didn't like it, then it was maybe you're not so into the DC style um, and with, with their big, ridiculous villains and stuff. But
0: Yeah. I guess that's the thing because Marvel have done a good job of sort of... Um, this is really off topic now. They've done oh, a really yeah. good job of like humanising and making things... Especially with, with... with Even though it's a ridiculous... They're all ridiculous sort of conceits. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, they've done a good job of make, not making them preposterous in in, in some cases, you know, yeah. with... Um, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the film now. Um, the one from last summer with uh, Chris... Um, thingy, you know? Captain of America, that one. No, no, I'm... Uh... Oh, you know, before them, the raccoon and um, oh, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, like n- not even trying to make that you know, serious, just like yeah. embracing the ridiculousness of it, like they've done a, a good job with that. Fun. Whereas I think DC still have that really weird thing going on where they, 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 they're they trying to ground it, well, it's certainly they were with Batman, um, the previous Batman trilogy, yeah well it's it's the frank miller influence
1: um because most of uh this batman versus superman was taken for the dark knight return as well a lot of it was and there was even a scene where ben affleck's on a wall and there's a lightning flash behind him and it's the cover and i was like yeah so i just <laughs> thought that was amazing uh you know because i just i love that comic book and i thought ben affleck was fantastic as batman and i thought that uh, the uh, jeremy irons was so good as alfred and i really enjoyed wonder woman i enjoyed superman i just thought it was good fun i thought lex Luthor is um the 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 the, the guy Mark Zuckerberg yeah yeah. he played sort of a twitchy kind of OCD version of Lex Luthor which I thought was quite interesting as part of his motivation he sort of had all these kind of ticks Mm. and it sort of implied that there was something going on and you know um and he was talking about his dad a lot and yeah there was a, there was a lot that and he was kind of wacky because he's playing lex luther but I, I thought he was really good and like i, I read a couple of reviews so I'm, like, I'm gonna stop reading reviews because i enjoyed it and i don't care <laughs>
0: you know? yeah that's good that's a good tactic to t- take yeah. yeah, I see so few films these days, and I've got kids, I don't just look at the cinema very often, that I read a lot of reviews just because I'm interested, still interested in a film, I don't have time to see a lot of films. Oh, of um, course, So yeah. I, I, like to, I like to know, you know, what films are good, so a few chances I have to watch something, I pick a good horse, effectively. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I read a lot of reviews just to, just to know what's going on, and, yeah, it's put me off watching so many things that other people eventually told me, yes, it's really good, you should, have, you should have gone and watched it. And, yeah. Hate, hate, is gonna hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should just like, yeah. I should just ignore them and watch it. But yeah, going back to the thing. Um, yeah. we we're talking about the, the the job angle. Um, I still remain really interested in, in music, and I think ultimately, if I was going to do something, maybe I'd still you know be in tech, but I'd maybe try and work music into it. You know, I'd like if I was if I was like rich and money was an object, I'd open a recording studio and you know go mm. down the go down the, the the producing route. You know, and just like get really into the the software and yeah. you know recording tools and stuff. I'd love that. Um, but beyond that, I don't really have any idea what I would do. And I read a really interesting blog post by Michael De Haan the guy who um, you know started the Ansible and everything. no He he talked about um, he's he's just taking a break. It's a really interesting blog post. I really urge you to read. I put a link in the the notes of the, the show. Oh yeah, I'd be very interested to read that. That'd it's awesome. really good because he's really frank. He's really um, really honest about where he is at the moment, and he's is taking a break from from. Um, from work effectively, he's still doing co- bits of coding here and there, but he's not working for anybody or doing anything. Yeah, and he was talking about how like his his whole mentality when he's when he's working like on a project, his, his personality and his outlook is so becomes so logical and so um, direct with a need to find um, resolution and um, he needs to feel like he's achieving things and, and solving problems so much that it bleeds into his day life. And right. he he's found it he, he found it really hard to sort of be happy because um, he was falling out with people because he was sort of taking that mentality of needing to fix things and and being just just having so much work to do just to take the shortest the shortest route to getting things fixed that yeah. he was like you know treading on people's toes and you know not making friends through it and and that was like affecting his actual life and there's a period I had back towards sort of the end of last year a few months after my son had been born. Uh, really busy in work and you know trying to do loads of stuff uh in, in in the day coming home having to do loads of stuff in the night you know still i'm still needing to do all like the, the the general sort of house stuff still need, still need to find time for my family and it's just so overwhelming and i actually for the first time considered maybe i should just choose a different job because this I don't, i'm not sure it's sustainable to be mm. having this at home and and the amount of work and the out the, the sort of the mentality that that work is given me, where I just need to just power through things, you know, um, you know, see a problem, fix it, see a problem, fix it, see a problem, fix it. Yeah. Um, it I'm, not, I'm not sure it's a it's a sort of a, a safe mentality to have outside of work, um, and his blog post resonated really well. I and mean, he's a much smarter, much more productive. Um. To, in a, to a significant degree, developer than I am, um, but I think there's still a, a commonality there. Uh, mm. I really identified with it. Um, I think a lot of people probably would. I think that's what he actually says in, in his post. He thinks that not enough people, you know, own up to being in in that situation. You know, people put brave face on things and say, you know, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm. This is just the way things are, and this is mm. we need to accept this. And he he points out that maybe it's not okay. Maybe you know the the. the Maybe the nature of our work isn't sort of compatible with, you know, a happy, happy lifestyle if it is taken to an extreme. Yes, I think that's a very good
1: point. The phoenix is not burnt out. It's just rebooting. That's that's the article, right? That's the one. Yeah, it's really really good. I'll give that a read later. That sounds good because I'm I'm concerned because, you know, my wife and I have been talking about having children and I don't know if I could keep doing what I do with with a lack of sleep you know because yeah. i'm bad in the mornings anyway we all know this um so i don't know um and i was thinking about different options of what i could do but you know i'm just going to see what comes up And i'm not going to be too preemptive about it i'm no. not going to go right I, I can't be working at a top flight organization like Radify anymore i've got to go um and do something else working mcdonald's or whatever no disrespect to <laughs> working at mcdonald's like but um i was thinking maybe i should take like a pay cut and go somewhere easier you know some mm. just when i mean, 'm just churning out WordPresses or something like that that 's basically do the same thing day in day out, and that 's kind of my fallback strategy is is i 've got no question that i 'd be able to find work uh, i 'm fairly confident in that it's just like the 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 part of me that wants to work at a high level uh, and 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 you know have a, have tough problems and solve tough problems versus the part that wants to be able to come home and look after my family and there 's still be something of me left at the end of the day. Um, because for all like, I joke about being, uh, you know, not being too excited about being a father like it, when, and if that comes around, like I want to give it more than my all, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Because you, 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 if you're like me, you'll take the same approach you're taking to work. Yeah. As, as he's doing to, shouting he's, all the as, time father banging we, my keyboard <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, you know getting, getting really annoyed
1: all the time i um, did i haven't raged on a keyboard for a year uh about two years now since i left my last job and i raged on a keyboard about just before christmas <laughs> i threw it at a wall and i bent an apple keyboard in half and um, wow smashed a plug socket with it i just like lost lost my rag and i very rarely do that these that days that is braggable it is braggable, but I was thinking, like, I was half, like, really annoyed at myself, and I was half like, you used to lose your temper like this all the time. Maybe <laughs> you've grown. <laughs> a little yeah. bit of self-talk, because, you know, I work alone most of the time, so I talk to myself.
0: Actually, becoming a father helps you channel a lot of those frustrations, or have to deal with those frustrations a lot better, because you can't just go mad and smack your kid around. Or at, least I, <laughs> at least that's the opinion I have. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Because um, he'd batter s- you. <laughs> yeah, he would. Um, so yeah, I think I'm a much calmer person in work these days because I'm I've got more accustomed to have, to being frustrated on a daily basis and having to channel that you know a lot a lot better. Yeah, um, it's not okay to get annoyed and frustrated with things every day. You know you have to just essentially suck it up and swallow a lot of problems. Um, yeah, and you know maybe that leads to you being a less um, you know a less productive uh, engineer because you know rather than seeing problems and taking taking them on and saying no this is not acceptable this is not this this code has not been written properly. You know, um, this is not an this is not an acceptable way to solve this problem. You think, well, it's good enough. You know, is it really worth an argument right now? Probably mm. not.
1: I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it's like I was saying that you 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 seem more sensible than any of us did ten years ago in terms of what are we going to spend our time on. Uh, what are we going to develop? What are we going to put our effort into? And I'd rather put seven and a half hours a day of effort into doing something that's going to benefit the organization, benefit the clients, you know, benefit myself rather than just fix a problem because it's there and it's difficult and it's a mountain to be climbed, which is very much the way I approach something. Sometimes I'll see a problem and I just have to solve it because it itches in my brain. Yeah. Uh,
0: where mostly anymore, automation
1: issues though so i generally recoup my investment because i automate myself but <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> I, I try if i'm going to put effort into something like that like if i'm going to go full idiot on it then it's got to be an automation thing we've got to be a
0: benefit <laughs> yeah well i guess yeah if you if there's a you know there's an element of like i guess what's the phrase it's not it's not quid pro quo is it yeah maybe, maybe that maybe that applies actually yeah if you're going to get something back from it then then yeah then it doesn't matter if you if you if there's a big challenge that takes you a while to solve because you know ultimately there's a reward for it but yeah I've definitely been in the in the past you know I've I've spent evenings you know tackling problems just to feel like I've I've I've, I've done it and I don't oh, yeah. there's no actual reward for it at the end of it no. I don't do that anymore I, if there's not if I don't know with absolute surety that the time I'm spending on something is going to resolve is going to result in something that's a definite achievement and it's going to be of use in the future I just do not go anywhere near it I don't waste time mm. at all anymore and um, I've stopped working weekends and I act like I
1: deserve a medal for it. I yeah, properly do that's I a like, big thing I get to the end of the week and I, be, I say to my wife I haven't done any work this weekend pretty sweet and she has gone yeah you've sat on your bum and played Dark Souls for eight hours <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm like it's yeah, I mean, really
1: hard <laughs>
0: that's really important though is having time to like sort
1: oh, of get brain switch
0: off because yeah. I,
1: don't, I don't watch telly or anything like I'll go to the cinema or I'll play video games and that's it you know or, or you know I play in a band and all that kind of stuff and I'd, I'd rather do those sorts of things
0: but if I don't do it I go strange yeah I do work on the weekends occasionally in fact I say more often than not but then mm-hmm. I do also work shorter work days than most people because well, I enough. have to you know sort the kids out and drop them off various places and be back yeah. to get them and so on. Get the um, whiskey. So yeah, I mean that works for me. And we actually work in a in a field where you know having kids is much less. I think much less um, has much less of an impact on our lives than it did for most people. Like most people are wedded to a nine to five sort of job where they have to be in work at a certain that's time true. and they get fired. Yeah. Good point. That's really hard to do when you got kids who refuse to get dressed at half past eight in the morning. You know. That's not... <laughs> Whereas I'm lucky enough to say, oh, okay, well, it's up to you. If, if you don't want to get dressed, fine, I'm just going to sit here and wait until you do. And then when yeah. at that point, I'll start work, you know, and no one's going to sack me for it. You know, that's just part, of, I'm, I'm lucky enough that my employer is fine with me doing that and knows that I'll make the time up you know, later on when it's more convenient for me. Yeah. Um, we are incredibly lucky for that. And that's obviously reliant on the fact that we can work remotely and, you know, we have the ability to work wherever we are in the world. Mm. Um yeah, that's that, that's incredibly we're incredibly lucky for that. And I think you'll find the benefit of that, you know, when you come to be harder. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I, so it's
1: assuming my gubbins works.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we don't know yet. <laughs> we don't know yet. And um yeah, I don't wanna find out personally, but No, uh, no, I'm,
1: I'll I'll be texting you, bro. I'll be yeah, like, just, yeah. let know, just let me know what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like nine months
1: later. Yeah, talk about a photo finish. All right. I better leave it there, I'm getting crass.